0: Thank you so much for listening to Pastor Cedric of Commitment Church. Our hope is to inspire, refresh, and encourage you to be lights in a dark world. If you do find this message inspiring or motivational, please follow Pastor Cedric or Commitment Church on Facebook and Instagram. Download our podcasts on anchor.fm, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and other platforms. Now, here's Pastor Cedric.
1: All right, so let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for the awesome opportunity to to be here in your presence, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, the privilege that you've also given us through your Holy Spirit uh, to commune with you, Father. Uh, thank you that you, Jesus, were obedient to the point of death, death even on the cross to allow us um, uh, the, to be recipients, if you would, of your grace uh, and your spirit so that we can learn from you, that we can be able to hear from you, uh, even be comforted by you. So, Father, I pray that as we head into this new sermon series, that, God, you will help me help your people, that I pray that uh, as we navigate through Psalm 77, Lord, we will know without a shadow of a doubt that you are God of all comfort, that you really want us to just nestle in your arms to be restored and refreshed and encouraged. For every single thing that has ever happened to us, that is happening to us, or will ever happen to us, that we can run into Your arms, Jesus. So, Father, we just look forward to what You're going to do through the powerful finished work of Jesus Christ. We all said, "All right." So, listen. Um, earlier in my relationship with Jesus Christ, I must admit to you that I absolutely refused uh, God. I refused His comfort. And I literally pushed back on him. <laughs> and honestly, anyone who uh, looked like him, you know, followed him, um, spoke about him. Um, and, but yet God forever pursued me. He forever pursued me. He, he engulfed me, if you would, with his love and his, his compassion towards me and his care for me. And um, I would ask the same thing to you today. Uh, Is this you? In other words, God desires to pour out his compassion upon you. He desires to care for you in every situation that you are in, have been in, that is carrying over from your past into your present and anything that you will ever experience. He desires to comfort you and he desires to care for you but the challenge i think we all face is do we fully embrace his comfort or do we push back on the lord and say no no i got it or i don't need it or i don't even want it and i think that's a challenge that we all face because um, god comes hard and heavy after us sometimes and he, do it, he does it in very creative ways, and he doesn't even do it outside of the people in this room, the people you know, you follow me and even a total stranger. He was send his comfort. But we have to become a people if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ uh, to not push back on God anymore. Because all it does is delay the inevitable. That we will find ourselves broken, in despair, frustrated, discouraged at the foot of Jesus anyway. So the quicker we can come back home, the quicker we can run into his arms to receive his comfort, the better life will be. So I have some opening slides for you today. Um, The first is... Here's our purpose in the sermon series. To help the body of Christ avoid and work through, because the reality is you're going to have to work through it, to work through refusing the comfort and care of God. Do you realize, again, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and, and I'm speaking first to those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and if you haven't today, his first level of comfort is Jesus, In other words, that if you uh, admit you're a sinner, understand the finished work of Jesus Christ, that he came to die on the cross for you, he was buried and he rose again on that third day, and you've accepted him and you've permitted him to be your Lord and your risen Savior every single day of your life until you see him face to face. This is yours. Next slide, please. Our setting again, so there's this author called Asaph, He's one of the approximate seven psalmists credited to writing the book of Psalms, okay? The entire compilation of the book of Psalms. Here's his his dilemma. In his grief and despair and with his full knowledge of God's abilities, character, power, and promises, he refused to be comforted by him. Does that sound like life? Life. Let me read that again. In his grief and his despair, and with his full knowledge of God's abilities, character, power, and promises, he refused to be comforted by him. He literally, in all respects, pushed back on God and said, nah, nah, I don't want it. Unfortunately, we too find ourselves in despair, pushing back on the holy God, the one who intimately desires to care for us. In this reaction towards God, this is his three things to understand. In this reaction towards God, we find ourselves deeper in despair. It never gets better. Distant from God, we just find ourselves further away from the presence of God and thoroughly digging these ditches of consequences that always, always becomes very difficult to come back from. There's always consequences from running from God. So, in this series called Pushback, we will answer four important questions. The first is this, or the four questions first will help us do this. Avoid this despair, avert from becoming distant from God, and help us to climb out of the ditches of consequences. And here's the the four questions. First, what does pushback look like? How do we start returning back to God? What does consequences and ownership look like? And how do we break through towards comfort? In other words, how do we get through all the nonsense to allow him to comfort us, amen? All right, so we're gonna answer the first question today. The first question again would be, what does pushback look like? If you could open your Bibles with me to Psalm 77. Psalm 77, and I'm gonna read verses one through 10 only today, and we're gonna only be, if you would, dive in into verses one through seven. Psalm 77, it says this, "'My voice arises to God, and I will cry aloud. My voice arises to God and he will hear me. Now hear verse one and understand how wicked we can become. And you're going to see how, the, how his tone transitions. All right? He says, in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. Sounds good for now. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. Said, what? You cry aloud. You ask for his help. But your soul is still refusing to be comforted. When I remember God, then I am disturbed. When I sigh, then my spirit grows faint. Salah means to pause, reflect. You have held my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years long ago. I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart and my spirit ponders. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness uh, ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious or has he in anger withdrawn his compassion? Salah. Then I said, it is my grief that the right hand of the most High has changed. Well, we know God never changes. So who changes? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. We're the one that change. And you even see in these first 10 verses how... Weird, we change. So let's dig deeper. What does pushback look like? First of all, I want you to note if you can, and it should be in your notes, is that when when you read these verses, understand that the psalmist is describing is described as melancholy, which means this. He is feeling, he has this feeling of sadness, typically with no obvious cause. What does that sound like? You just wake up one day and be like, dang, why why am I so upset? Why do, why do I don't I like God today? Why do I want to go to church? Why do I want to read my Bible? Why do I want to pray? It's just like melancholy Christianity. And we all fall prey to that just waking up one day on the other side, wrong side of the bed, we call it, and just in a funk. And then this is what begins to happen. That's why it's important to understand the context. You have this melancholy approach, melancholy approach to God, and then there then begins, something begins to happen and it, call, it causes this, this weird reaction towards God. God is never changing, but then we start acting weird towards God. And this is how this weird pushback begins to happen. Number one, you find a verse, uh, you find point one in verse one. It says, I, I worded it this way. We go through this, we start going through this religious motion. I still come to church and serve, but I still got this weird attitude. I'll still pray, but I got this weird funk about me. I still fellowship, I do all the religious stuff, but my heart really is not there. And that's why if you read the text from that context, and it's important to read, all of the text, because all of the text shows, wait a minute, you're saying you're crying out to the Lord, but your heart really is not there, because read the later verses. What does that sound like? So, I would cry aloud. The word cry means, cry, cry means this. To cry for help. Sounds cool. The word here means to listen. So, when you Understand this. It simply says this. As Christians, especially if you're an adult Christian, and I use that loosely, very easy to know the right things to say. Lord, I bless your name. Do you really mean it? Lord, I glorify you today. Lord, I worship you. Do you really, really really mean it today and then it begins to say yeah I'm crying aloud. Ah, you know God will you really even do anything about this so I'll pray but am I really believing that you're really going to do anything about this but I'll just pray Religious motions. You see, when the righteous sincerely cry, this is what happens. Psalm 34, 17 says this. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and deliver them out of their troubles. Now, here's the beautiful thing about God and troubles. Troubles can still be there and I can be delivered. That's the beautiful thing about troubles with a follower of Jesus Christ. The literal world can be crashing in on you, and you can still be delivered. That's the cry of the righteous. The cry of the righteous isn't necessarily, get me out of this, even though it may start there, but it never ends there. It is simply said, God, just help me to not succumb to what is weighing me down. Or whatever is burdening me, help it to make me be more like you, Jesus, rather than get me out of this. And every prayer that I pray prior to that begins to be a lie because I pray things like, Lord, help me to be more like you, Jesus. I sing songs like, help me to be more like Jesus. But when the weight comes on me, the first thing I do, I say, get me from out of this weight, which God has permitted sovereignly to make me more like Jesus. God, make me into the wife you want me to be. Well, guess what's going to happen? Your husband probably won't love you as Christ loved the church and gave his very life for her. Because the way you become the wife that honors Jesus is not hinged upon what your husband does or does not. And the same thing with men. Same thing with parenting. He didn't say, you know, when your children are good, then you're able to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. He didn't tell dads, do not provoke your children to wrath and anger, to exacerbate your children, you know, when they're obeying you. He says, do not exacerbate your children, period. You see, when the righteous are willing to cry day and night, Psalm 88 verse 1 says this, O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and in the night before you. We're not wondering why God wakes us up at night. We just engage with God. And we're not concerned how long that season lasts. We just engage with him. You see, when we sincerely cry in our trouble, Psalm 107, verse 6 and 28 reminds us of this. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distress. Then, verse, eight, verse 28 again, it says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. Again, remember, out is not necessarily out. Are out doesn't necessarily mean it goes away immediately. Sometimes, well, do you realize? long you live in Christ, this is something I would say this way: you should realize, trouble will always be there. It just comes in various shapes, forms, and fashions. It's clothed in different types of people. But you have to learn that no matter if trouble is there in the midst of the tempest storm, I will always believe that my deliverer is nigh. A hearts should cry out this way, like Lamentations, chapter two, verse 18, it says, their heart cried out. It's not just this cry but the heart is that the essence of who you really are there's this honesty before God the real you on the inside is who cries out you see religious motions you can can pretend very easily and we can even pretend on cue the heart cried out to the lord o wall of the daughter of zion let your tears run down like a river day and night give yourself no relief let your eyes have no rest and when you when you read when you read those psalms so many times it it, it really speaks to who we really are rather than stuff we just try to avoid We just we try to avoid the inevitable sometimes. Listen, children grow up and they're gonna drive you crazy just for the record. <laughs> so what you tripping? Why are you tripping? You know, why are you wigging out? Why are you like I can't believe it. Such a shock of, of I just can't believe he's he said that. I can't believe the way he's acting in school. But They're sinners, for the record. (laughs) They're sinners. We're all sinners. Why are we so surprised when fiery trials come upon us? Aren't they for the perfecting of our faith? Aren't they for us to become more like Jesus from And I believe once we start embracing that, tears are real. You stop going through the motions. Who you are is who you are. It's not weakness. It's not frailty. It's humility. It's a broken and a contrite heart, and he will not despise. You see, when we cry from the sincerity of our hearts, Man, our God listens and he responds. But the the longer we, we stay in that just religious mode and just going through the motions and just, you know, just pretending and just doing the religious stuff over and over again, the longer you stay exactly where you are pushing back on God. What does pushback look like? Verse 2, first part of verse 2 gives us our second point. It's after we begin to execute these religious tasks, then we somehow create this, this, this religious endurance. Listen to what the text says in verse 2. Again, Psalm 77. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. In the night, and my hand was stretched out with Without, without weariness. So think about it. Remember the, the verses contrast here. He's saying I'm lifting my hands up, and out without weariness. But then he he goes down. He says Ah, but I want your I don't want your comfort. So you can say investigatedly. Well, bro, you're just lying. You're just pretending in verse one and two right now. You're going through the motions. You know, it's kind of like when someone walks up to you and you say, they say to you, well, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm I'm doing awesome. I'm really, I'm great. And everything's going well. No, it isn't. You're just trying to convince yourself maybe that if it's going well or not. Or you're not just being fully transparent and honest. There's nothing wrong with saying, yeah, man, you know, tough week, but God is faithful. It's not the role saying a tough week. That's not a defeated attitude. It just simply says, I can't, but he can. And I believe one can get to a point, though, that, that they are beginning to be strengthened so much in him that even in the midst of it, you truly can say, say with great honesty, No, things are good. And I'm not going through the religious motions. But an individual has to go through that maturity process under it to be able to get to a point that there's a level of confidence in him and his character that you can say with great transparency that, you know, yeah, things are really going okay, I'm okay, in spite of what I see in front of me. But most followers of Jesus Christ are not there yet. Executing a religious task creates this religious endurance. In the day and night, I sought you. And then in the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. You see, the words without wearing, or weariness means this. It says, or if you attach without, it means this. To not grow numb. In essence, you see, the psalmist really showing himself that he's actually grown Numb. Because that's what this religious endurance begins to create. You go through it, you go through it, because you're so numb towards God. It's kind of like any relationship. You ever have a relationship that you grow numb in, and you just go through the relational motions? happens in marriages periodically, especially when a wife... Asks a husband to do something over and 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 over again, she grows numb. She's there, but she's not there. To not grow numb, it also means frailty in an emotional or physical way. But here's the caution, because this is what weariness really should look like. And this is from the NIV. I normally teach out of the New American Standard, but this is out of the NIV. Proverbs 30, verses 1 through 3 says this. I am weary, but, but I am weary, excuse me, God, But I can prevail. Surely I am only a brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. In other words, when we are going through the nonsense of life, and we begin to be so weighted by circumstances, most of the time we won't admit that the only way we can prevail is through God. Most of the time we won't admit that I am a brute. Most of the time we won't admit that I have no human understanding. Most of the time we won't admit that I have not learned wisdom Most of the time, we won't understand, we won't admit that I have not, I do not have the full knowledge of the Holy One. See, in other words, when we truly get to a place of weariness, all of this describes us. Because we come to a place that we say, God, I am at my end. I don't know anything, I can't sort through this relational problem. I don't know how to sort through my finances. I don't know how to handle my mother. I don't understand how to handle my children. I don't know what to do with those people that you've called me to lead and minister to. That's the place of true weariness, believe it or not, in which God wants us to come to because he ultimately then has full control of life. And that's why God would allow certain things in our lives because he is breaking us down to get to a point that we know nothing. He knows everything. We understand nothing. He understands everything. I cannot do anything apart from you, Jesus. And that's the most healthiest place a follower of Jesus Christ can remain. Then it allows you to say, okay, God, Comfort my soul. You see, this is the way our our desires for God should look. Psalm 63, verses one through one through three says this, O oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus, I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. You see that that's the way it looks. When you come to your end, then you become so thirsty for him. You see, when you, listen, ladies, when you come to the end of your marriage, you know what ultimately happens? You're not thirsting for the love of your husband. You know, when a a parent comes to their end, we're not thirsting for the love of our children. Listen, guys, we're not even thirsting for their respect. And God will bring a father to his end until he doesn't thirst. For respect. You're yeah, to do the same thing, guys. In marriage, you will come to your wit's end until respect isn't what motivates you in the context of marriage. That you don't need to be respected by your wife to first love her like Jesus loves her. You see, when we fervently see God from the sincerity of our hearts... We will never grow numb. We will never get to a place that we're going through the motions, having this religious endurance, and still in the midst of all of that, finding a way of refusing God. You see, this is our challenge. If we don't correct this religious endurance, before you you know it, we get to the place of absolutely refusing God. You see, that's why he transitions in verse 3. And this is so, so, this is actually so, uh, actually at the end of verse 2, it's very scary. It's so scary. Because how quickly he flips his emotional context and his relational context. Verse 2, in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. Now, why then does your soul refuse to be comforted? You're crying, you're up late, you're up early in the morning, but yet you somehow refuse for God to intervene in your life. Something is hidden, hiddenly wrong in the soul of the author. Something is hiddenly wrong in the heart of followers of Jesus Christ when we act this way. And that's why if you peel back a little further, the word soul, remember we learned in our, in our previous sermon series, it is that immaterial part of us, that animated element of us. It is where we have the seed of senses, desires, affections, appetite, passion, those things that nobody see on the inside, but everybody witnesses once it comes out of you. And they either like you for it or they dislike you because of it. So therefore, there has to be this 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 permission that we give God continuously to manage our soul, that place that only he sees. The the next two key words, the word refuse in the latter part of verse 2 says this. It is a rejection of an offer, the refusal to obey. Think about that the rejection of God's offer to comfort you and the refusal to obey him. Sounds familiar? That we'll run to anyone else but him, run to any other created thing but him, we'll refuse him and his comfort, and we will refuse to obey him when he is speaking to us early in the morning, late at night. And how do we know that? Well, if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, guess what that is called? Refusing to obey. Sin. It says it is like Jacob refusing the comfort when he thought Joseph died. Do you remember the story about Joseph being thrown in a pit, right? And they brought back his garment of many colors, his coat of many colors with blood on it. So at that time Joseph uh, was thought to be dead, and his father Jacob said, "No, no, I, I don't want to be comforted because I'm. Think about this. I'm so grieving right now. Nobody comfort me. What's that sound like? Well, you don't understand what I'm going through. You understand what you know. What's happening in my family? You understand my marriage, but my marriage is different. You understand my wife. You understand my husband. You understand my kids. You understand the pain. You understand my loss." then we refuse every person that God sends our way. We refuse the voice of God and the compassion of God over and over and over again because nobody understands. My favorite son is dead. You don't understand how my mother was, how she treated me, what she said to me. Well, you don't understand how, you know, to live without a father, not even know your father's name, right? Excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. After excuse. Everything that Jesus died for. He died for rebellious children, just for the record. He died for husbands that don't get it. He died for employers who don't treat you fairly. He he died for it all. There's nothing that he did not die for. So why do we refuse? Why does the conditions first have to change before we run back to him and we celebrate him and we glorify him? When he does something for us. Why does the condition have to change first? And then I obey him. God fix him and then I'll do what I am supposed to do. Fix her that I'll respect. Well, let my boss give me what I think I deserve. Then I honor them as been appointed by God. You see we easily refuse God when we we forget his deeds. See Psalm 78 verse 9 through 11 says this. The sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows, yet they turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law. Why did they do that in a day of battle? Battles, your battles. Why? They forgot his deeds. And his miracles that he had shown them. How easily we forget what God has already done for us. And then the battle comes, and then we We run away. You see, this word comforted means this. My soul refused to be comforted. It means I refuse to be sorry. I refuse to repent. I refuse to have compassion. I refuse to be consoled. Let me read that again to you because all of those reactions, if you would, to this definition of this definition shows many times the condition of our heart that kind of oozes out and gives us the reasoning. The word comforted means this to be sorry that I refuse to be sorry. So I just do what I want to do. Cuz it's his fault. It's her fault. It's everybody else's fault. So I, I refuse to be what? Sorry. I refuse to repent. I refuse to have compassion. You see, the beautiful thing about God is he will, he will say, no, 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 Cedric, come to me. I understand the weight. I understand what you're going through. I understand how they're treating you. Come to me. Just come to me. Come to me. Come to me. And just have compassion for them. And then I'll fix it. So many problems can be solved If we just allow the Lord to give us his compassion. You see, we also refuse refuse God's comfort when we don't even pay attention to what he does. Listen, it says in Proverbs 1 verse 23 and 24, it says, Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you because I called and you refused me. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And then let's see how the children of Israel didn't pay attention in Zechariah 7, 9 to 13. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ear from hearing. They made their hearts like flint, so that they could not hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great wrath came from the Lord of hosts and just as he called and they would not listen, so they called and I would not listen, says the Lord. God, listen to me. Listen to me, God. Can you hear me? God, do you hear me? Do we hear Him? You see, when we refuse God and push back, we will always miss out on His comfort, especially in our greatest needs. Lastly, what does pushback or what does pushback look like? It's found in verse 3, Psalm 77. When I remembered God, then I was disturbed. When I sigh, then my spirit grows faint. That doesn't even sound right. I remember God, then I'm disturbed. Remember, he started out, I cry in the night. I deal without being wearied. I'm just this worshiper. I just love God. But I remember God and somehow now I'm disturbed of God. Well, you see, but that's what begins to happen when we go through the religious motions and we just have this religious endurance and we refuse God's comfort. It inevitably leads to being disturbed with God. The word disturbed means this, and it makes sense to you. It means to murmur and to have this commotion that begins to happen on the inside. We, be, we call it, we begin to be, have this unrest. You know, can't sleep at night. You know, you're on edge and, 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 and everything's just like, you know, not good on the inside. And you can't even describe what's going on. But something on the inside is just not right. Murmuring. Well, you know, so and so ain't doing so and so. Because here's the deal everything with God is always connected to people. Have you realized that? If you haven't recognized that yet, you know how he can get to you? You know how he can get to me? People. He knows exactly. Oh, Cedric, all you need to make you do is get, you know, Lisa wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you're going to be murmuring, disturbed on the inside. You're going to be frustrated on the inside. That's all I need to do is cause some conflict between you and Lisa, you and the kids. Everybody and everything you love, all I need to do is just shake that a little bit, and you're going to start murmuring, and you're going to start being disturbed on the inside. Amen? Let's be real. Listen, Satan don't have to be all creative. He just touches people you love and things that are important to you. And immediately, well, I can't believe it. You know, well, how did he get a promotion? I'm the one who comes every morning early, start murmuring, start being perturbed on the inside. Because that job, that promotion is what's important to you. You see, in marriage, you always have someone who overspends and (laughs) oversaves. Because there has to be a balance, right? So, so you want to start some murmuring and some discontent on the inside of marriage? Okay, tilt the scale one way or the other. Well, why are you spending too much? Why are you, you, you know, you, you're so tight. You're a, Right? And murmuring and complaining. Right? It happens to the best of friends, in the best marriage, in the best ministry. We start murmuring and start having this commotion on the inside. You see, our disturbance, again, always begins on the inside. And just to confirm that, quickly, Psalm 42, verses 5 and 6 and 11 says this. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Where's that soul at? On the inside, right? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hoping God, for I shall, again, praise him for the help of his presence, oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. You see, our hope has to be settled in God to settle the disturbance. And that's why Psalm 43, verse 5 says this. Why are you despair, O my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my continence and my God. When we push back on God, the caution is we will become religious people. Men and women who just go through the motions. Now, some of you may be saying this right now. Okay, well, I just won't do anything. No. Digger ditch. (laughs) Just for the record, digger ditch. It's just about you just turn yourself around And run to the foot of the cross of Jesus. That's the simple uh, solution that I can give you. It's just come to your senses and realize the answer is in Christ and Christ alone. Period. Amen. I mean, the answer is really, really simple. We just need to make the right decision. Make sense? So the challenge I have is this. I want to end with this simple illustration. You see, in 1958, or 1858, pardon me, Stephen A. Douglas won the Illinois U.S. Senate race over Abraham Lincoln. So when a friend asked Abraham Lincoln how he felt, this is how Lincoln replied. He says, I feel like a boy who stubbed his toe. I am too big to cry and too badly hurt to laugh. I'm too big to cry and too badly hurt to laugh. So the question you must ask yourself today, we ask ourselves today, is this. Am I too big to cry? You see, because the hurt, the hurt of our past somehow always finds itself in our present our hurts that we have in our present condition somehow will infect and affect our future. And if we are not big boys and girls who are willing to cry, it's going to be a long, long journey. But then on the flip side, if we're too big to cry, I mean to laugh, in other words, Laughter is like medicine to the bones, the scripture promises. Sometimes you just got to laugh at yourself, you got to laugh at the situation, and you got to just keep on rolling. But you see, can I just let you into my heart? Uh, There was a time in my life that I was just like this. I was too big to cry and too badly hurt to laugh. I couldn't remember the last time I shared tears and i couldn't remember even how to laugh and yet i was a follower of jesus christ and then enter marriage <laughs> and i just thought i was getting a beautiful wife just okay you know you know uh be able to be above reproach and intimacy and all those different things. You know, I'm I'm trying to be kind to young ears, (laughs) you know, and, 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 you know, be clean before God and do all the, you know, check the box, don't burn with passion, but be married. Right. But at the end of the day, I got more than I expected. And that's what God does in relationships. Most of the time, you get more than what you expect. And through my wife, and through the difficulties early in our marriage, and through everything that just, just creates us in that context of marriage, some way, somehow, this boy from Compton, California, who had to not cry, appear tough, and all of the above, who left home at 17 years old. Um had to learn how to cry again and laugh again to a point that it was dissension in my marriage because it, Lisa was a crier. Lisa was a laugher. And some of you know her. I was like, why are you crying? What's wrong with you? Why are you? It's just a movie. You know, it's just like, I was just an animal. It's like, why are you crying over kittens? And she and, and used to wig me out. But you know what God said to me? I made her that way to teach you how to cry again laughter man she's be on the kitchen table singing fiddler on the roof to the kids i'm like what i'm like who in the world did i marry that ain't funny she'll you know she'll talk you know you know create jokes or say something against me i say against me you know but it was just funny and i was like ain't funny And I was just so uptight and so wound up. And it was tension in my marriage because I was so wound up. And God placed this wonderful, wonderful jewel in my life to teach me how to cry again and how to laugh again. I had to listen and not turn away from everything that God was presenting me through her what relationship are you in that God is trying to do the same thing you see because once I got it right in marriage you know what begins to happen (laughs) it turned into the boss it turned into the neighbor it turned into other Christians it turned into, you follow what i you, you understand where I'm leading you. In other words, God starts to use every person and every situation around you to ultimately drive you back towards him to say, I am here for you. In church, you need to know that he is there for you. But you got to quit pushing them away. When he, if you would, appears, you understand what I'm saying? Through your husband, quit pushing him back. When he appears through your wife, quit pushing him back. When he appears through your parents, through your children, through your boss, through your coworker, through your pastor, through your brother and sister in Christ, whoever it is, through your employees. When he begins to appear and says, no, 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 all I'm trying to do is put you under this tension and this pressure to make you more like Jesus. And when you become more like Jesus, then there is not, no weapon that can ever be formed against you that will then what? Prosper. You have such peace such joy, such comfort in every situation that you ever go through. Just embrace it and don't push it away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much because you have allowed every situation and circumstance in our life to come our way strategically. to comfort us. Lord, you want us to get to a point that we obey you in every situation. You want us to get to a point that we just envelop your love for us. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we will allow you to do this from this day forward. And today there may be someone here or watching that you may need God's comfort in. And as I shared earlier in the message, the comfort begins with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if today you don't know if you have one or not, or if you don't know when this life is over, if you're going to heaven or hell, you don't know if you can even survive this life any longer, turn to Jesus. And the way you do that is simply through this this. Practical prayer, if you would. It's like wedding vows. Oh he's like to describe it that way, because wedding vows are so simple, they only take a few minutes, but they last a lifetime. They bring two different people together for a lifetime. These vows, if you would, to Jesus, brings you together with him forever. He becomes your bride, groom, you become his bride way the scriptures describe it. You become a part of his church, his body, his family. And the words are simply this. You could just say, Jesus, forgive me. For I tried to live this life apart from you, tried to do it on my own, but I realized I can't any longer. Jesus, I understand that you came to die for me. You were buried for me. You rose again from the grave just for me. Jesus, please come into my life to be the Lord of my past, my present, and my future as I surrender to you today as my Lord and my risen Savior. If you prayed that prayer, just please let me or someone else know that you prayed this prayer, and we like to just make sure that you're continuing to grow in your relationship with Jesus but if we can all now stand to our feet. If you could lift your hands as we get prepared just to sing out this, this final song. Lord, I pray over your people that you would just bless them and keep them. Let your face and your grace, my God, shine upon them. Bless the works of their hands as they enter this coming week. God, I pray that you would send them out as lights in the dark world. God, I pray that they would go into the highways and the byways, compelling people to come in that your house of worship may be filled, filled with people from every nation, tribe, and tongue that you've called to be here in this church, and that the influence of the people in this church would spill out into all churches throughout the world. Lord, we love you, we thank you so much for your unfailing love towards us. In the magnificent, mighty name of Jesus, we all said, amen.
0: Thank you again for listening to Pastor Cedric of Commitment Church. If you would like to learn more about Jesus Christ, please visit our website, www.commitmentchurch.org. This website will walk you through having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Please let us know if you have made a decision to follow Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, or if you would like to support God's Word through this ministry by visiting www.commitmentchurch.org. You can also visit loveallnations.org for more information and to receive encouraging videos. Lastly, if you or your family reside in the South Jersey area, please visit us at 2 Berlin Road South, Lindenwald, New Jersey 08021. May God bless you and have a wonderful day.